Indie Authors Discussion is brought to you by Authors United Publishing. Are you ready to publish a book? Well, we can help. And Tim and I can help you get published and retain all copyrights and royalties. There are no hidden fees for what we offer. We publish, edit, proof, ghostwrite, and publish on paperback, hardback, Kindle, and Audible. We stay with the process until the final step is completed. We also narrate and would not be opposed to narrating your work. Our prices begin at $150, and for up to the maximum of $600, you get everything. So if you're ready, message us anytime, and we can discuss what we can do for you. Now, here is Indie Authors Discussion with Tim, Lori, and Elijah Simpson. Hello, guys, and welcome back to our next podcast. Um, what episode is it? This is episode, what is this, eight? I think it's eight. Eight. Episode eight? Yes. Ooh. We are winding down to the end of first season. We yep. will end it on December 31st, and it's going to be a special episode. Yep, very special episode. <laughs> and uh, you've got, so in this episode, we're going to have an interview with... Catherine Godhart. Um, the book that was just so neat to me was the one she wrote about a crane that they were having construction in her area uh-huh. and she wrote a kid's book about the crane that sounds neat that it sounds does neat. it really does um and eli will have uh his moment and i think he found someone else to interview you want to tell us about the interview that's coming up yep so the interview is uh dr acula i think his name is dr acula uh, i oh. think i think that's right yeah dr acula wait huh. yeah Okay, uh, so, Interesting. Um, um, so, um, I seen when I met him, he says, um, he's like a psychologist or something, whatever. Psychologist, are you sure? Oh, whoops. Uh, Interesting. So, well, anyway. Maybe something like that, I don't know, something all just. (laughs) Something all, okay, well, it'd be interesting to talk to him. Yeah, it'll be very interesting. Yeah. I met him like a day ago. Okay, you met him like a day ago, huh? Yeah, I just met him. Is that the guy that, uh. You was talking to outside here of a night. He only comes out around at night time. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I think he was like here life or something. That's. And you invited him in to do an interview, huh? Yeah. yeah like he was like carrying like a knife, and uh, and I think I seen some like blood on the road with um. Oh wow. Yeah. So he, oh okay. I don't know. I don't know if that's like a one-time occurrence or I don't know. It could be a coincidence or I don't know. It could be some. It could be like red liquid. It could be like red. Red water like paint or something. They can be paint, but okay. but that looks well, like a blood red. This will be an interesting interview. Um, so then we have uh, the next installment of Noir. Oh yeah, it's really good. Wait, what Microsoft Office Noir edition? No, this is uh, uh, Tim's edition. Oh. So this in this one, uh, there's going to be a lot of action. Um. Some things are revealed about what's taking place, and we are winding down to our final episode in two weeks, I believe. Two weeks! 
And then we're going to have a, uh, I think, a Christmas thing coming up here pretty soon. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. And uh, Eli's decided he doesn't want anything for Christmas this year. So oh, we're not, wow. We're not, we're not going to get him anything. What? What? Um, we what? Thought, we'll save a lot of money. Yeah, we're just going to let him do the podcast for Christmas. Wait. That's his Christmas Aww. present. What? what? Christmas present. The one that keeps on giving. Right. So I think What? What? I think I'm, I'm only going to be able to. I can't, I can't believe you guys. I'm leaving this podcast. Okay, so Eli just uh, stormed off. I thought he was I'm on. Leaving this. Yeah, he, he just said he's leaving. Yeah, yeah. So, anyway, uh, he, he'll be back to do the interview. He has to. Yes, he does. So, anyway, so we got a lot of fun stuff planned for you in this episode. So, Don't forget about the uh, promo codes. The promo codes at I'm the end. I'm really excited about this one because guess what they're for? Uh. I don't know, Frosty at Wendy's? No. Ooh, Frosty at Wendy's. Wendy's. Or is it um is it a um, Microsoft 365 Personal Edition? It's all about that stuff. They are for an audiobook of mine. Oh. Saving Faith. Wow, that's like a $400 gift up there. So. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're so sweet. <laughs> so. What about an iPhone? What about an iPhone? Um, will you, you ever do get... a promo code? To get a um, yeah, sure. iPhone we from will Best give, Buy? We will give a promo code for Eli's iPhone. Wait, what? So, no, my, no, my personal iPhone 6. Oh. oh. Like a iPhone like 15 or something. Oh, like, I thought you were giving your iPhone away. Isn't no. It? Oh, okay. Well, I'm not giving my iPhone away. Well, so I guess he's my not. personal information <laughs> on it. Okay. All of his nine years of information is on there. I don't own my nine years of information because this is a new Microsoft account that was created. So two years of information on that phone. Yep. Or, or 30 minutes is. Okay, so everybody just sit back, relax, and listen to our latest edition. Okay, guys, welcome back to another Eli's moment for the podcast. So, we're um, here with another interview. You may have been seeing that there's um, been a thing with um, me interviewing people. I just like interviewing people. So, now we're here with Dr. Acula. Hello. <laughs> okay, so Dr. Acula, what... Yeah. What do you do for a living? I'm a hematologist. <laughs> so what do you do? Um, so what do you do if um at your um, what type of job do you have? I work with blood. <laughs> so can you tell me how your job is? I love my job. Of a night, I go out. <laughs> <laughs> and I wander the street <laughs> and I find people <laughs> and I bring them back to my lab <laughs> okay so <And> then <laughs> I put them on my table <laughs> and I put needles in their arms <laughs> oh like needles and then I take out all of their blood. Oh, what do you do with the blood? I have dinner. <laughs> what do you have for the dinner? The blood, ah! of course. Do you drink the blood or? Is I 
fix it and sometimes I mix a little ice with it. Sometimes I sometimes I'll heat it in a microwave. <laughs> I I mix a little salt and pepper sometimes. <laughs> so what's your most recent person? Oh it was so much fun. I I don't remember his name. It was a so, so Sam or Samuel something. I saw him walking across the street. <laughs> he was going to a machine. And the machine you put a little card in. And and magically money appears from this machine. <laughs> uh Bob what have you ever got arrested by the police for this? No, I've had a few on my table before. <laughs> Say, you look young and healthy. Do you have a lot of blood in you? <laughs> well? I'm calling the police on you. Really? Well, it just so happens I have my medical bag with me. So, let's let's have a little chat about uh, this police situation. Uh, <laughs> uh, if you're looking for something new, something fun, something exciting, try some of the books by Tim Simpson. His genres range from science fiction, horror, mystery, noir, and much, much more. In some of his books, he has vampires, werewolves, gangsters, and some of both at the same time. If you're interested in any of his books, they can be found on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, and also on Audible with some narrators from all over the world. These are books you have to listen to. They're amazing. So check them out when you get a chance. Tim Simpson on audible.com. The War. Written by Tim Simpson. Performed by Lori, Elijah, and Tim Simpson. Come on, boss. So what do you think of Sony's? Mr. Vin Johnson, it's as good as Millie's, right? I think it is. Am I right? Or what? Yeah, Marvin. It wasn't bad. But I have a lot on my mind tonight. Call Giuseppe. Tell him to bring in Smalls. I want to speak with him. And also have Lewis bring in Lips. I want to talk. Boss, get down! Not long before I received a call at Bali's. Lips was getting ready to leave his club. His car exploded. 
and he wasn't in it. However, his driver, Charlie McBrown, was. Charlie left the club to retrieve the car and drive it to the entrance. As soon as he started the ignition, he was incinerated instantly. The lips escaped unharmed. Forgetting his hat and returning to his office saved his life. Around the same time, Manfred Van Johnson was leaving a restaurant after having a late dinner with a, when a gunman drove past him, firing a Thompson submachine gun. He received a few grazes, but his friend and valet Marvin Capone was killed instantly, shot five times, twice in the head and three times in the back. He died throwing himself over his boss's body. Not long before the two attacks, Roger and three officers were stepping through the doors of the Biggie Smalls pool hall. It doesn't look like anyone's been here for a while. You two spread out and check the back. Smith, stay with me. Biggie Smalls, if you're in here, this is the police. We have a warrant for your arrest. Detective York, no one's in the back. Just a bunch of full liquor bottles. Full. <laughs> Strange. Look around, but be careful. Detective York! Kid, what are you doing out of the car? You're supposed to wait until I come back. I know, I know. But your radio went off and someone on the other on the other end said there was an explosion at at the club uptown. I bet my badge at Slip's place. Kid, come with me. You three stay here and sweep the place. If that runt Smalls is hiding, I want you to drag him downtown. Yes, sir. Come on, kid. Get in the car. You all right, kid? <sighs> yeah, my shoulder hurts from being thrown into the car door. But other than that, yeah. Hey, wait a minute. Someone's trying to kill us. I don't think it was meant for us, but it did kill three police officers. I bet it was Smokey who set off the bomb. He's the best bomb maker in town. Smokey? Where is this Smokey? Can you show me where he lives? Sure, I can. All the gangsters go to him to build bombs. Good. Let me call this in and then we'll pay a visit to old Smokey. There's going to be spades to pay for this. What about the car explosion in the town? Jack's probably working on it as we speak. When I arrived at the Swing and Tail Club, the crowd had already gathered, along with the paramedics. Lips Malone was standing near the door with shoulders, and Lips was shaking like a leaf. Why are you here, Manson? You need to be out looking for that ungrateful weasel Smalls. He did this. I know he did. Yeah, that seems to be the consensus these days. Where were you when this happened? Me and Shoulders here were closing up shop. And I forgot my hat. Went back in and, and heard the explosion. I looked at both men over. Shoulders was as cool as a cucumber. He was puffing on a Chesterfield cigarette. His mood never faltered. Even when I questioned him about the explosion. I received the same as when I spoke with him at the hospital. He was born a gangster. He wouldn't say a word. Not even an opinion about it. He was more of a mobster than his boss. I have someone bringing in Smalls, so don't worry about it. 
Besides, you have shoulders here to protect you. Detective Manson. What is it, Detective Waters? Sir, the operator just reported that Manfred Van Johnson was just shot. Drive-by, they said. Also, Detective York reported that the Smalls Club was blown up, killing three of our guys. Detective York is looking into who set the bomb. I could feel my blood pressure rise. As I looked at Malone standing there alive while three good officers were dead. However, he seemed to be even more shocked than I was. Malone, if there's something you're not telling me, I swear, Detective, there's not. I have no idea why Biggie's doing all of this. And I really don't know how he's doing it either. I mean, he doesn't have that many men or, or clams to pull something like this off. Well, he's getting help from someone. It, it could be Lorraine. Who? Boss! Lorraine worked for me. I sent her to speak with Biggie earlier. You know, just to fill him out. Well, they have a history. She brought him in. And they ran things for, on the Lower East Side for a time. She taught him how to run a business. You know, the ropes. Taught him everything. I swear, I never understood why she would even bother. But she did. Well, she got into a feud with a rival gang that was already established in town. So Biggie, now you didn't hear this from me. But he, well, he bumped off the competition. And she has been loyal ever since. Boss, you shouldn't be talking about this stuff. How did she uh, come to work for you then? She started the pool parlor when I met her. I liked her. She was tough and I could see possibilities in her. She was a good head for business. So I hired her. And then she sold Biggie the, you know, the interest in the pool hall. So, what changed? Why is she not targeting you and Van Johnson? I swear, detective. I have no idea. He just lost his freaking mind. Say, is Manny for sure dead? I have no idea. But if I were you, I would keep a low profile until we bring in Smalls. Yeah, yeah. You got it, sure. Sure, detective. Where can I find Lorraine? What's her last name? Uh, let me see. That's Collins. Her last name is Collins. She runs a shark den casino on the edge of town. Thanks, boys. And Lips, don't go after Biggie. Let us deal with this. Yeah, sure. Whatever you say, Detective Manson. While Detroit was cleaning up fires inside the precinct, there was something else brewing. Officer Monroe paced his cell, in mortal fear of his uncertain future, as well as he should. News of the death of his partner inside the hospital sent him into a panic. He knew he would be next. Carl and Bath recovered from their attacks. It seemed the assassin had no time to finish them before the gods heard them fall to the floor. Someone was inside the room before Carl or Bath even went in. But when the officer went in, all they found was the two reporters unconscious. So the theory was, if someone could get into a guarded hospital room, unseen, then they would attempt the same inside a jail cell. The mob will use anyone to carry out their dirty work. They use prisoners who are looking at a life sentence, 
these police officers who have fallen on hard times. They're like lions looking for a weak lamb to exploit. They have the money and the influence to carry out nearly anything they desire. But the question that kept filling my mind was, how can Biggie Smalls achieve all of this? He has never been a main player. He was always a small time crook compared to the likes of Manny or even Lips. But while everyone was running around Detroit extinguishing flames, someone did make their way inside of police headquarters. And they did make it to holding cell four. Look, I didn't say anything. I swear it. I would never betray anyone. Please, please don't. I would never do it. It doesn't matter now, does it? You're a witness to a failed attempt at a hit. You were paid to do a job, and you failed. I have one job to do, and that is eliminate you and your partner. And the second part is complete. No, wait, someone ha Here you go, out of the back way. Go there, turn left. You'll find your car to the right. Everyone is out looking for Mr. Smalls. Thank you, Officer Danforth. Yeah, yeah, sure. Oh, and Mr. Undertaker, please let the boss know what I did here. Of course. And you will have his thanks. To say the events of the night shook the town would be a gross understatement. And to make matters worse, we were only a couple of weeks away from Christmas. I was bitterly cold. The night was dragging itself closer to morning. The newest detective on the force was Detective Waters, the first female detective in our division. She was a slick New Yorker who transferred to our city to be closer to her dying grandfather. I have to be honest, when she first came on as detective, I, like many others, had reservations about her. But she has proven herself well. Meanwhile, Van Johnson had pulled himself together and went to the only man in the city he truly trusted. And that man is Big Joe Falcone. He drove out to his estate just outside of Detroit. I need to see Mr. Falcone. He's been expecting you. Is that so? Yeah, we heard about what happened. I'm sorry about Marvin. Mr. Falcone's in the library. Come on. News travels fast around here these days. Yeah, that's funny. But Mr. Falcone still has eyes and ears everywhere all over this city. Come right this way. place looks as good as ever. Come in, son. Sit. Mark, grab Mr. Van Johnson a cutty and water. That's still your drink, right? Yeah, thanks. Mind if I smoke? By all means.
So I haven't heard or seen you in weeks. And now you're coming here. To what do I owe this honor? Marvin's dad thought you were expecting me. My boy, anytime something goes bad in the city, someone dies. I always expect a visitor. I see. Let me come to Lance. Thank you. But Manny, welcome to me with this heartbreaking news. Thank you, Mark. Mr. Falcone, please, Manny, call me Joe. You're like my son. I put you where you are because I see something in you, my boy. You are nothing more than a street bum when I discovered you. And now look at you. You wear the finest clothes. Smoke the, the best cigars. What is it that this poor old tired man can do for you? It's Smalls. He has put a hit out on lips of me. For reasons I don't know. What's more discouraging is that fact he is able to afford such a feat. So you, you come here thinking I might have some insight into this situation? Yeah, something like that. I don't mind telling you, I find this insulting. I haven't seen you in a long while. And when I do, you bring me this. You bring this right to my door. You don't stop by to check on the old man. You just come here because one of your underlings is out of control. It's more than that. Someone is helping him. And I need to know who. Other than that, the two of us, no one in this city holds that kind of power that you know of. Look, Manny, while you're sitting in your office building eating at the finest restaurants, there are gangsters all over this city making deals, growing stronger. Why do you think I got out? I was tired of worrying. If someone was going to kill my family, some young punk, might try and make a name for himself by taking a shot at Big Joe Falcone. So I was done. I wanted to retire to keep my family and me safe. That's why I turned it over to you. You're tough, Manny. You have always been tough, even more than me. You can handle this. I know you can, son. And as far as me knowing who is supplying smalls, I can't help you. But speaking from experience, my boy, I can tell you, it's probably someone very close to you. Someone that knows you and knows how you operate. I was starting my own house before I went out shooting up the city that provided you with the luxuries you now have become accustomed to. That's right. Of course, I shouldn't have come here and involved you in this matter. And Manny... I say this from the bottom of my heart. Don't ever come back here again. My life and my family are too valuable. Everyone knows you now. Please, I have to turn my back on you. But before you go, I will grant you one request. So what is the one thing you would ask of me? I want the name of Biggie Smalls' closest relative or friend. I miss that gang that has drifted apart. I've got a sad feeling down in my heart. Keep a
but I give the world to While Detective Waters and I were heading to answer the call at the station, Roger had made it to where he thought the firebug lived. It was in a rundown part of Detroit called Belmont. So you're saying he lives in this building? Yeah. The last time I saw him, I was here with the mole. What were you doing hanging out with someone like the mole? He's a nutcase. Yeah, well... When you got no family, you do what you can to survive. Alright kid, stay here. And this time, I mean it. No matter what you hear on the radio, you stay put. Do you understand me? Yeah, sure. Lock the doors. I'll be back as soon as I can. Hey Detective York! Yeah? Be careful. The mugs that live around here don't play games. And they don't like the fuzz. Understood, kid. I'll sit tight. At the same time, Carl and Beth had decided to take it upon themselves to find out more about Smalls and why he was killing off gangsters. So their first stop to try and find the rat. I guess they figured since they were there when someone tried to hit the rat, that he might be willing to fill them in on a little more. Look, Beth, all I'm saying is that the last time we were with the rat, we nearly got killed. Not at the hospital. That's even worse. We were there surrounded by gods and still we almost got killed. Carl, you don't have to come if you don't want to. But this is the biggest story of our careers. We know Biggie is behind it and no one knows why. So we're... So we have to find out. But what if we get killed and we never find out? Then it won't matter anyway, will it? Well, that's morbid. Look, there's Minnie. She's going into that apartment building across the street. How can she afford to live there? Are you kidding? The rat's loaded. Okay, come on. This is going to be so bad. Well, Minnie, were you able to get hold of him? No, but I did see a couple of mooks not far from here watching me. What? We need to leave town. This place is getting too hot. Did you try the club? Hurry. Hurry, get your stuff packed. Hurry. Yeah, nobody was there. Probably closed up. And Shoulders didn't answer his home phone either. They probably got to him already. Why are they doing this, Rat? It's Smalls. He's flipped his lid. He's trying to take over. Now come, come on. We need to leave. Who's that? I don't know. Uh, who is it? It's me, Tony. Open up, rat. We need to get you out of the city. Uh, yeah, yeah, sure, sure, hold on. What are we going to do? Well, how should I know? I should have called for backup. Well, it's too late now. This building should be condemned. The walls are falling in. Oh, wait a minute, I hear something. Something up ahead. Hmm. Looks like they've been doing construction or something here. Oh, wait. Oh, my gosh. Is that Biggie? But who are the other ones? Yeah, I definitely need some backup. I better go back and 
Hey, what are you doing here? Oh, I'm, I'm just looking for a place to sleep is all. What's going on out there? Small face. I told you that I don't like that name. Yeah, whatever you say. Hey, who's this mug? Just looking for a, for a place to lay down, Is that's all. You don't look like no bum to me. Well, thank you. See if he's loaded. What's going on out here, Biggie? We don't have time for this. Hey, isn't he a cop? I give the world to see that old gang of mine. Mystery, entry, murder, on the edge of your seat page turn. These are just a few words to describe the latest book, Saving Faith, by Lorianne Simpson. The small town of Mahogany Bay, South Carolina is plagued by a killer targeting women, and now he has his eyes set on Faith Dean. Can the handsome detective Dakota McLean save Faith before it's too late, or will Faith become the killer's next victim? Saving Faith is available on paperback, hardback, Kindle, and Audible. Right, we are here with author and poet Catherine Gotthart. Catherine, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you. It's great to be here. I have um, been to your website, which is very neat, let me say. Um, and uh, there's so many things I cannot wait to talk to you about. But first, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Oh, boy. Okay. Um, I guess I will give you the, the literary version of it and not the completely boring version, right? <laughs> um, so the literary version is um, I am a writer by trade and by uh, passion and by hobby. So I... During the week, I work full-time as a writer for a government contracting company, and uh, in my spare time, which, you know, we carve out this time, don't we? Absolutely. I write to. I like to write poetry. I like to write children's books, uh, mostly in verse. Um, I dabble in some flash fiction. Uh, I've done freelance work, but my primary focus has been poetry for the past several years. That is very cool. And I, I was, when I was looking on your website, I'm going to jump ahead just a little bit. I always thought that poetry had to rhyme to be poetry. And it doesn't, does it? Uh, no, it certainly does not. Um, and then there's different ways that you can play with the rhyme. You can have, you know, end rhyme, internal rhyme. You know, certainly the way that we all learn poetry is through um, song, usually when we're young. Um, and then in most of the children's books rhyme. And I do like to rhyme in my children's books quite a bit. And that is what I noticed on your website, that you have um, quite different, um, a variety of 
different books. So tell us about your most recent book and the inspiration behind it. Sure. So um, We All Might Be Witches, this was a fun one. I was working on it, right? It came out just before, like, Halloween, actually. <laughs> um, it was inspired by my adult son, Andrew. Um, and Andrew has autism spectrum disorder. Um, he has uh, what they, some people call high-functioning autism. There's different ways of putting it. Um, but he looks at the world very differently, and he has an incredible imagination and is incredibly curious, and he delves into all kinds of different topics um, in research. Um, and when he does it, he does it with this passion that most of us would just wish for, right? <laughs> um, and you know, when he has conversations, he loves to share his knowledge. Uh, he calls it info dumping. Right. Um, so, you know, it's kind of like rapid fire. This is what I've learned. And it was super interesting to me. So, you know, I kind of sat down and had conversations with him um, about it and rapid the um, whole idea of like white magic into these micro poems um, and the the thought behind it was first of all that you know we look at things every day and we take them for granted and we don't realize that even you know in people and every single person and in every single thing there is a kind of magic that we overlook so it's sort of a celebration of like the ordinary and the extraordinary both in people and in nature and in the everyday um, and micro poems is something that I got interested in first of all of course haiku right because we all go through school and we learn you know, American Haiku 575. Right. So um, I have played with haiku for a number of years. So some of the micro poems are haiku, but a lot of them are, um, you know, like kind of Instagram um, length poems where you can fit them on a graphic, um, you know, and people's attention spans are pretty short. So I've got um, a, the collection of micro poems and each of them is accompanied by uh, a digital image that, um, that I created. So... Um, that is the book, and it's kind of a coffee table book. It's uh, about 50 pages, and it's a, a quick read, but there's something for everyone in it. That is amazing. Um, so this, I was looking on your website, and the sales from that book you're using to help um, people less fortunate. Is that correct? Um, yes, so Andrew attended a special education school um, here in Prince William County, Virginia, and uh, the special education school is for kids, um, actually it's K-12, um, for, you know, they either have like autism or they have cognitive and emotional disabilities. And some of them are really just kind of uh, missing, like, like basic needs and things like that. So our local Haymarket uh, Gainesville Rotary Club has a foundation. And that foundation, one of their projects is to support this special education school. So any of the proceeds go towards that purpose, basically. It goes towards uh, supporting that special education school. That is great. That really is. Tell us about some other books that you have written, um, because I saw just a few that jumped out at me was um, uh, some other books that caught my eye were uh, A Crane Named Steve, uh -huh. Poems from the Battlefield, uh -huh. and Bury Me Under a Lilac. Those were the ones that jumped out at me. Uh 
Uh-huh. Um, tell me a little bit about those. So that's really funny. You you picked like like the dark and the light, and um, <laughs> uh, so <laughs> uh, let me just preface that by saying that you know um, poetry is very much as as you probably know as a writer, right? It's a reflection of things that have been going through your mind and different perceptions. And for me, writing is a way to kind of process. Um, the world so um, and that includes like even like children's writing right so let's start with the crane named Steve Um, okay that that was such a fun book book Laurie Um, we live in an area where they're in northern Virginia right up by the Manassas area uh, Mm -hmm. and there is always tons of traffic and there is tons of construction going on and you know we always have like you know disgruntled disgruntled commuters and things like that so during this construction that was happening on Route 66, uh, there was a crane owned by a company called Digging and Rigging, and it looked <laughs> like like this robot with its arms up, but it looked like it was like celebrating something. Uh-huh. And so people would be stuck in traffic, and they would take pictures of this crane. And then they were like, "Let's give it a name." So this um, this uh, Facebook group. Western Prince William Chatter, named it Steve. Oh, my goodness. Yes, they actually gave it a name. Now, what's really funny about this is that, first of all, it became like this big meme, and the local news picked up on it, the national news picked up on it, and Digging and Rigging actually slapped a name tag on it that said, Hi, my name is Steve. Oh, my goodness. Yes, and it was awesome, and it was amazing, and it kind of brought the community together, you know, um, during, you know, horrible construction, right, when everyone was kind of in a bad mood. Um, So I thought, you know, this would make a fabulous children's book, Uh, and um, I worked with um, Patrick King, who uh, was a local businessman, who uh, sadly he he has passed, but um, he has left a legacy by illustrating this book, and all of the book proceeds were um, and still continue to be donated to local charities. So um, you know, so it was to like some food pantries and shelters and things like that. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, and it's very local. You know, it's very, I mean, it literally mentions Manassas and has you know like the the um, sixty six. Uh, exit sign for Manassas and things like that. So <laughs> it, it hit number one in, on Amazon. And it, you know, when it came out, it was so funny. It was just like, really? Really? You're going to be known for the, the crane book? Awesome. Okay, here we go. <laughs> so I looked a little bit at the uh, poems from the battlefield. Mm-hmm. And it talks about the Civil War. Yes. Now, were these poems that you yourself wrote or um you you made a collection of other people's poems no those so these are my poems um and the images in the book some are archival photos and some are original photos oh okay now what inspired you to do that poems from the battlefield um so that one uh that was my very first book that was published and wow i don't even remember the date (laughs) Um, That was my very first book, and uh, I'm originally from Massachusetts, and Uh in Massachusetts, we have a lot of reenactors in history revolving around the Revolutionary War, so I moved here in 99, and when I did that, 
everything was kind of Civil War focused. And I was living in Manassas. So, of course, there's the Manassas battlefields, which are, you know, kind of world famous. And um, I just started hiking all the battlefields and just kind of learning more about, you know, the Civil War and some of the people that were in it. And, you know, uh, the, you know reading about the soldiers' lives and things like that. And I'm not a historian. Right. Um, so what I was trying to do is kind of wrap my head around the folks that live during this period of time. And so most of those poems are written um, as persona poems, you know, where so it's like you're a char- you're basically narrating it. You're a character, right? It's almost like fiction. Um, it's not it's not history based. And t- people think like, you know, is this like, is this a true story? No, it's not. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> um but one thing it does delve into is, you know, kind of the trauma of violence and, and things like that. And also, you know, just kind of the sadness of division um, oh, yeah. and, and war itself. So that, that was kind of the theme of that one. And bury me under a lilac. I don't know why these just jumped out at me. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the story behind it? Um, so the title poem is... Uh, based on kind of my belief that we are all recycled, right, and that we all sort of come back into our next life, so it's kind of a spiritual belief of mine, and I have always said I want to come back as a lilac um, oh. because lilacs smell beautiful. They're they're a beautiful, you know, uh, piece of 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 creation um and it just seemed like it would be a really peaceful thing to come back after like you know living a, 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 a long hard life right come back right, to lilac right. um so that's the title poem is bury me under a lilac gotcha. um yeah and and i don't i don't have the book sitting in front of me so i can't read you the title poem right now actually um so that's where the title came from and and it's uh it's a kind of, you know, it's kind of a journey um, looking at different parts of life, you know, like from childhood up to adult, adulthood through like, you know, birth through death, that kind of thing. It's the lifespan. It's the, it's the cycle of life and the circle of life. That is very interesting. We, um, I have dealt with loss with my parents. And um, it's just, it's something, I don't know, I'm drawn to just stories about um, other people that have endured the loss as well. And um, I think that's what made that jump out at me. Tell me, um, what kind of challenges do you face, if any, while you're writing? Um. You know, one of the things, you know, speaking of the, the, the loss issue, so there's a thing when you're writing about anything that's either like traumatic or if it's loss or something sad or something that, you know, you've had a hard time wrapping your your head around um, or that's emotionally difficult to face. There's a couple of ways to do it. You can either like focus in like it's, you know, a microscope and get really up close to it. Or you could focus out and kind of look at it, you know, from a distance. 
And part of the trick with writing this is knowing when to focus in and when to focus out. Now, I think most of us know, you know, if we've, you know, we, you know, the angsty teenage poetry that we used to write. Absolutely. Okay, right. Every, who's not done that? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So that that's like the hyper focusing in that can sometimes become rumination and it's not healthy. And so part of the challenge of writing and anything completely emotional or like potentially triggering like that is to know, am I doing this? Am I doing this correctly? Am I doing this in an emotionally healthy way? Um, I used to think, especially because growing up and going through school, all of the literature that we had to read was completely depressing. And I thought, I want to be a writer. In order to be a writer, I need to be depressed. And then there came a time in my life where it's like, I'm just not depressed anymore. Oh my God, right, can I right. not write anymore? <laughs> And it's kind of a myth that we end up believing because of the way that we learn or, you know, these like, you know, these myths that we hold about artists and writers and things like that. So there's also overcoming that challenge. Um, You know, I don't have to be depressed to write. Um, I actually have a book called Get Happy, Damn It, and Get Happier, Damn It. And there's a reason for that. (laughs) (laughs) I did see those on, on your website as well. Uh-huh. I, I do totally understand what you're what you were talking about because my first book um, I was actually uh, separating from my first husband so a lot of that emotion went into that first book and now it just seems like with my second husband I am blissfully happy uh-huh. and I'm like oh my goodness I have lost my writing ability where did it go? There's, you know, um, but there's other, I know there's other avenues for me to, you know, jump into, but I totally understand that. And, um, I want to ask you real quick, one more thing about, I saw something on your website called Catherine's Coffee House. Uh-huh. And that looked very, um, engaging as far as, now, is that just, uh, it, tell me if I understand this correctly. Is that um, things that you have written as well as other people that they could post on there? How does that work? Um, so originally, I just, that's kind of the blog function of my website. Okay. So originally what I would do is I would post uh, just drafts of poetry. So it's, I think it says poetry in progress on yes, it. Yes, So the poetry in progress is just, these are drafts. This is kind of, I just spit it out. This isn't necessarily what I would submit to a literary magazine, but here it is. Um, and then as I was doing some speaking engagements in classrooms and things like that, I invited the students to write some poems and I wanted to feature them, so I would feature them on my social media if they wanted to do that, and I would feature them on my website. Um, I have since started inviting other people to, you know, submit their work. Um, I, my most recent one is from Cindy Brookshire, um, who I think she's – you're in North Carolina, or – Oh, we are in uh, southeastern Virginia. So, oh, you're in southeastern Virginia. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I, no, I you're fine. You confused with someone else in uh, Virginia writers but um anyway so she she's a northern Virginia, Virginia native and she's moved down there but I featured her recently she had a poem um and 
I usually use the hashtag Catherine's Coffee House because it's kind of just like, you know, my little virtual coffee house going on. So as far as this is a long winded way of saying, yes, I do accept guest, <laughs> guest posts. <laughs> well, I just thought that was very fascinating, very interesting. Um, just, of course, you know, the coffee house is what first drew me into it. And then okay. I was reading uh, one little part called Early Onset. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, this is very good writing because um, where uh, the the person in the writing was going through the trash. And it was almost like the garbage bag was mocking them. Uh, that is one of my poems, actually. Early onset. Yes. So I, and I can't I'm like, I can I can see that because. You know, that this, that was a very good way to bring that to life. Well, you know, what's funny is that is a true story. Actually, I threw away my car keys and my husband, who wasn't my husband that time, drove like through all this traffic, Aww. like in the rain and found my car keys. In the <laughs> that is great. That yeah. is great. Well, Eli has the last question. Are you ready, okay. Eli? I am ready. Okay. It's okay. What was the best place you have traveled to? Good question. Oh. Oh, this is so hard. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, fortunately, I, I haven't really, I mean, I've been in, I haven't done a lot of uh, overseas travel, so I can narrow that down a little bit more. Do you want United States or outside United States? It could be any. Any. Okay. All right. I am going to say probably I'm going to pick Mexico because um, I've got some friends that uh, have grown up in Mexico and um, have dual citizenship. And so they go back and forth. And I was very fortunate to be able to visit uh, Mexico City a couple times and Acapulco and the mountains in uh, Mexico. Um and it's called uh, Valle de Bravo. And the mountains in Mexico, they have these gigantic uh, volcanoes. Ooh. And, yeah, you could so you could see the volcanoes, like, from the house. And people would, like, go climb them. Um, which, um, now, they're, they're dead volcanoes, obviously. They, these right. aren't <laughs> erupting volcanoes. Um, and it was just the most incredibly peaceful valley. And so I would go for walks early in the morning. And, you know, there would be, there was an emu farm out there. And you would just oh. hear all the farmers out there whistling and singing. And it was just a very peaceful, joyous place. And one of the things that was most striking was that the people there did not have a lot of money. Um, and in some cases, you know, we would consider them in poverty, but like they would just be out there just like singing and, you know, like just wonderful neighbors that would share with each other and they would just take joy in life. And I thought, you know, if we could take a lesson from that, that is a lesson that, you know, a lot of us could learn uh, because, you know, we put so much emphasis on what it is that we need, we think we need or what it is that we think we want. Um, so that was probably, you know, my, my takeaway from my visits there. That is very, very cool. Very cool. I like that. Tell us um, where your books can be found. I know I found a, 
a link on your website, but where else can uh, our listeners purchase or listen to your books? Okay, so um, easiest, of course, is always Amazon. Uh, if you want a signed copy, uh, people are welcome to email me. It's poet at katherinegodhart.com. Um, or uh, you can get the books on like Barnes and Noble online, or you can order them from a bookstore. There's some independent bookstores and galleries that have them too, uh, but that list is sort of always evolving, so I'm not going <laughs> to throw those names out there yet. Right, gotcha. Okay, that is wonderful. Um, we will definitely check some of those books out, especially A Crane Named Steve. I just, I really like that children's book. <laughs> I want to thank you so much for uh, joining us on our podcast and taking time out of your day for us to interview you. Well, thank you. This has been great. It's it's always fun to talk about writing. You know, you don't get a chance to do it enough because, you know, it's writing and people think it's work and it is work, but it's also fun. So It is amazingly fun and I have really enjoyed speaking with you. Thank you so much. All right, we are here with author and poet Catherine Gotthart. Catherine, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you. It's great to be here. I have um, been to your website, which is very neat, let me say. Um, and uh, there's so many things I cannot wait to talk to you about. But first, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Oh, boy. Okay. Um, I guess I will give you the, the literary version of it and not the completely boring version, right? <laughs> um, so the literary version is um, I am a writer by trade and by uh, passion and by hobby. So I... During the week, I work full-time as a writer for a government contracting company, and uh, in my spare time, which, you know, we carve out this time, don't we? Absolutely. I write to I like to write poetry. I like to write children's books, uh, mostly in verse. Um, I dabble in some flash fiction. Uh, I've done freelance work, but my primary focus has been poetry for the past several years. That is very cool. And I, I was, when I was looking on your website, I'm going to jump ahead just a little bit. I always thought that poetry had to rhyme to be poetry. And it doesn't, does it? Uh, no, it certainly does not. Um, and then there's different ways that you can play with the rhyme. You can have, you know, end rhyme, internal rhyme. You know, certainly the way that we all learn poetry is through um, song, usually when we're young. Um, and then in most of the children's books rhyme. And I do like to rhyme in my children's books quite a bit. And that is what I noticed on your website, that you have um, quite different, um, a variety of different books. So tell us about your most recent book and the inspiration behind it. Sure. So um, We All Might Be Witches, this was a fun one. I was working on it, right? It came out just before like Halloween, actually. <laughs> um, it was inspired by my adult son, Andrew. Um, and Andrew has autism spectrum disorder. Um, he has uh, what they, some people call high-functioning autism. There's different ways of putting it. Um, but he looks at the world very differently. And he has an incredible imagination and 
and is incredibly curious, and he delves into all kinds of different topics um, in research. Um, and when he does it, he does it with this passion that most of us would just wish for, right? <laughs> um, and you know, when he has conversations, he loves to share his knowledge. Uh, he calls it info dumping. Right. Um, so you know, it's kind of like rapid fire. This is what I've learned, and it was super interesting to me. So you know, I kind of sat down and had conversations with him um, about it, and wrapped the um, whole idea of like white magic into these micro poems um and the the thought behind it was first of all that you know we look at things every day and we take them for granted and we don't realize that even you know in people and every single person and every single thing there is a kind of magic that we overlook so it's sort of a celebration of like the ordinary and the extraordinary both in people and in nature and in the everyday um, and micro poems is something that I got interested in first of all of course haiku right because we all go through school and we learn you know, American Haiku 575. Right. So um, I have played with haiku for a number of years. So some of the micro poems are haiku, but a lot of them are, um, you know, like kind of Instagram um, length poems where you can fit them on a graphic, um, you know, and people's attention spans are pretty short. So I've got um, a, the collection of micro poems and each of them is accompanied by uh, a digital image that, um, that I created. So... Um, that is the book, and it's kind of a coffee table book. It's uh, about 50 pages, and it's a, a quick read, but there's something for everyone in it. That is amazing. Um, so this, I was looking on your website, and the sales from that book you're using to help um, people less fortunate. Is that correct? Um, yes, so Andrew attended a special education school um, here in Prince William County, Virginia, and uh, the special education school is for kids, um, actually it's K-12, um, for, you know, they either have like autism or they have cognitive and emotional disabilities, and some of them are really just kind of uh, missing, like, like basic needs and things like that. So our local Haymarket uh, Gainesville Rotary Club has a foundation, and that foundation, one of their projects is to support this special education school. So any of the proceeds go towards that purpose, basically. It goes towards uh, supporting that special education school. That is great. That really is. Tell us about some other books that you have written, um, because I saw just a few that jumped out at me was um, uh, some other books that caught my eye were um, A Crane Named Steve, uh -huh. Poems from the Battlefield, uh -huh. and Bury Me Under a Lilac. Those were the ones that jumped out at me. Uh -huh. um, tell me a little bit about those. So that's really funny. You you picked like like the dark and the light, and um, <laughs> uh, so uh, let me just preface that by saying that you know 
um, poetry is very much, a, as, as you probably know as a writer, right? It's a reflection of things that have been going through your mind and different perceptions. And for me, writing is a way to kind of process um, the world. So, um, and that includes like even like children's writing, right? So yes. let's start with the crane named Steve. Um, okay. So that, that was a, such a fun book, book Lori. Um we live in an area, whether in Northern Virginia, right up by the Manassas area, uh, mm-hmm. and there is always tons of traffic and there is tons of construction going on. And, you know, we always have like, you know, disgruntled, disgruntled commuters and things like that. So during this construction that was happening on Route 66, uh, there was a crane owned by a company called Digging and Rigging, and it looked <laughs> like like this robot with its arms up. But it looked like it was like celebrating something. Uh-huh. And so people would be stuck in traffic and they would take pictures of this crane. And then they were like, let's give it a name. So this um, this uh, Facebook group, Western Prince William Chatter, named it Steve. Oh, my goodness. Yes, they actually gave it a name. Now, what's really funny about this is that, first of all, it became like this big meme. And the local news picked up on it. The national news picked up on it. And digging and rigging actually slapped a name tag on it that said hi my name is steve oh my goodness yes and it was awesome and it was amazing and it kind of brought the community together you know um during you know horrible construction right when everyone was right. kind of in a bad mood um so i thought you know this would make a fabulous children's book uh, and um, I worked with um, Patrick King, who uh, was a local businessman, uh, who uh, sadly he, he has passed, but um, he has left a legacy by illustrating this book. And all of the book proceeds were um, and still continue to be donated to local charities. So, um, you know, so it was to like some food pantries and shelters and things like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, and it's very local, you know, it's very, I mean, it literally mentions Manassas and has, you know, like the, the um, 66 uh, exit sign for Manassas and things like that, so <laughs> it, it hit number one in, on Amazon, and it, you know, when it came out, it was so funny, it was just like, really? Really, you're going to be known for the, the crane book? Awesome, okay, here we go. <laughs> So I looked a little bit at the uh, poems from the battlefield, mm-hmm. and it talks about the Civil War. Yes. Now, were these poems that you yourself wrote, or um, you you made a collection of other people's poems? No, those. So these are my poems, um, and the images in the book. Some are archival photos, and some are original photos. Oh, okay. Now, what inspired you to do that, Poems from the Battlefield? Um, so that one, uh, that was my very first book that was published. And, wow, I don't even remember the date. <laughs> um, that was my very first book. And uh, I'm originally from Massachusetts. And uh-huh. in Massachusetts, we have a lot of reenactors for uh, in history revolving around the Revolutionary War. So I moved here in 99. And when I did that, 
everything was kind of Civil War focused. And I was living in Manassas. So, of course, there's the Manassas battlefields, which are, you know, kind of world famous. And um, I just started hiking all the battlefields and just kind of learning more about, you know, the Civil War and some of the people that were in it. And, you know, uh, the, you know, reading about the soldiers' lives and things like that. And I'm not a historian. Right. Um, so what I was trying to do is kind of wrap my head around the folks that lived during this period of time time and so most of those poems are written um as persona poems you know where so it's like you're a character you're basically narrating it you're a character right it's almost like fiction um it's not it's not history based and people think like you know is this like is this a true story no it's not (laughs) it's not (laughs) um but one thing it does delve into is, you know, kind of the trauma of violence and, and things like that. And also, you know, just kind of the sadness of division um, oh, yeah. and, and war itself. So that, that was kind of the theme of that one. And Bury Me Under a Lilac. I don't know why these just jumped out at me. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the story behind it? Um, so the title poem is... Uh, based on kind of my belief that we are all recycled, right, and that we all sort of come back into our next life. So it's kind of a spiritual belief of mine. And I have always said I want to come back as a lilac um, oh. because lilacs smell beautiful. They're they're a beautiful, you know, uh, piece of, of, of creation. Um, and it just seemed like it would be a really peaceful thing to come back after, like, you know, living a, 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 a long, hard life, right? Come back right, to lilac. Right. Um, so that's the title poem, is Bury Me Under a Lilac. Gotcha. Um, yeah. And and I don't I don't have the book sitting in front of me, so I can't read you the title poem right now, actually. Um, so that's where the title came from. And, and it's... Uh, it's a kind of, you know, it's kind of a journey um, looking at different parts of life, you know, like from childhood up to adulthood through like, you know, birth through death, that kind of thing. It's the lifespan. It's the it's the cycle of life and the circle of life. That is very interesting. We, um, I have dealt with loss with my parents and um it's just it's something i don't know i'm drawn to just stories about um other people that have endured the loss as well and um i think that's what made that jump out at me tell me um what kind of challenges do you face if any while you're writing um you know, one of the things, you know, speaking of the, the, the loss issue, so there's a thing when you're writing about anything that's either like traumatic or if it's loss or something sad or something that, you know, you've had a hard time wrapping your, your head around um, or that's emotionally difficult to face. There's a couple of ways to do it. You can either like focus in like it's, you know, a microscope and get really up close to it. Or you could focus out and kind of look at it, you know, from a distance. And part of the trick with writing this is knowing when to focus in and when to focus out. Now, I think most of us know, 
you know, if we've, you know, we, you know, the angsty teenage poetry that we used to write. Absolutely. Okay, right. Every, who's not done that? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So that that's like the hyper focusing in that can sometimes become rumination and it's not healthy. And so part of the challenge of writing in anything completely emotional or like potentially triggering like that is to know Am I doing this? Am I doing this correctly? Am I doing this in an emotionally healthy way? Um, I used to think, especially because growing up and going through school, all of the literature that we had to read was completely depressing. And I thought, I want to be a writer. In order to be a writer, I need to be depressed. And then there came a time in my life where it's like, I'm just not depressed anymore. Oh my God, right, can I right. not write anymore? <laughs> and it's kind of a myth that we end up believing because of the way that we learn or, you know, these like, you know, these myths that we hold about artists and writers and things like that. So there's also overcoming that challenge. Um, You know, I don't have to be depressed to write. Um, I actually have a book called Get Happy, Damn It, and Get Happier, Damn It. And there's a reason for that. (laughs) (laughs) I did see those on on your website as well. Uh I, I do totally understand what you're what you were talking about. Because my first book, um, I was actually uh, separating from my first husband. So a lot of that emotion went into that first book. And now it just seems like with my second husband, I am blissfully happy. Uh And I'm like, oh my goodness, I have lost my writing ability. Where did it go? There's, you Uh know... Um, but there's other, I know there's other avenues for me to, you know, jump into, but I totally understand that. And um, I want to ask you real quick, one more thing about, I saw something on your website called Catherine's Coffee House. Uh-huh. And that looked very um, engaging as far as, now, is that just, uh, it? Tell me if I understand this correctly. Is that um, things that you have written as well as other people that they could post on there? How does that work? Um, So originally, I just, that's kind of the blog function of my website. Okay. So originally what I would do is I would post uh, just drafts of poetry. So I think it says poetry in progress on it. Yes, yes. So the poetry in progress is just, these are drafts. This is kind of, I just spit it out. This isn't necessarily what I would submit to a literary magazine, but here it is. Um, And then as I was doing some speaking engagements in classrooms and things like that, I invited the students to write some poems and I wanted to feature them, so I would feature them on my social media if they wanted to do that, and I would feature them on my website. Um, I have since started inviting other people to, you know, submit their work. Um, mm-hmm. I, my most recent one is from Cindy Brookshire, um, who I think she's. Are, are, you're in North Carolina, or oh, we are right? in uh, southeastern Virginia. So, oh, you're in southeastern Virginia. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I, no, I, you're I, fine. You, confused with someone else in uh, Virginia writers but um anyway so she she's a Northern Virginia native and she's moved down there but I featured her recently she had a poem um and I usually use the hashtag Catherine's Coffee House because it's kind of just like, you know, my little virtual coffee house going on. So as far as this is a long winded way of saying, yes, I do accept guest (laughs) guest posts. (laughs) Well, I just thought that was very fascinating, very interesting. Um, Just 
of course, you know, the coffee house is what first drew me into it. And then I was reading uh, one little part called Early Onset. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, this is very good writing because um, where uh, the the person in the writing was going through the trash. And it was almost like the garbage bag was mocking them. Ah, uh, that is one of my poems, actually. Early onset, yes. So I and I can't. I'm like I can. I can see that because you know that this that was a very good way to bring that to life. Well, you know, it's funny is that is a true story. Actually, I threw away my car keys and my husband, who wasn't my husband that time, drove like through all this traffic, Aww. like in the rain and found my car keys. <laughs> that is great. That yeah. is great. Well, Eli has the last question. Are you ready, okay. Eli? I am ready. Okay. What was the best place you have traveled to? Good question. Oh. Oh, this is so hard. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, fortunately, I, I haven't really, I mean, I've been in, I haven't done a lot of uh, overseas travel, so I can narrow that down a little bit more. Do you want United States or outside United States? It could be any. Any. Okay. All right. I am going to say probably... I'm going to pick Mexico because um, I've got some friends that uh, have grown up in Mexico and um, have dual citizenship. And so they go back and forth. And I was very fortunate to be able to visit uh, Mexico City a couple times and Acapulco and the mountains in uh, Mexico. Um and it's called uh, Valle de Bravo, and the mountains in Mexico, they have these gigantic uh, volcanoes, Ooh. and yeah, you could, so you could see the volcanoes, like, from the house, and people would, like, go climb them, um, which, um, now, they're, they're dead volcanoes, obviously, they're right. <laughs> erupting <laughs> volcanoes, um, and it was just the most incredibly peaceful valley. And so I would go for walks early in the morning. And, you know, there would be, there was an emu farm out there. And you would just oh. hear all the farmers out there whistling and singing. And it was just a very peaceful, joyous place. And one of the things that was most striking was that the people there did not have a lot of money. Um, and in some cases, you know, we would consider them in poverty. But, like, they would just be out there just, like, singing and, you know, like, just wonderful neighbors that would share with each other. And they would just take joy in life. And I thought, you know, if we could take a lesson from that, that is a lesson that, you know, a lot of us could learn. Uh, because, you know, we put so much emphasis on what it is that we need, we think we need, or what it is that we think we want. Um, so that was probably, you know, my, my takeaway from my visits there. That is very, very cool. Very cool. I like that. Tell us um, where your books can be found. I know I found a, a link on your website, but where else can uh, our listeners purchase or listen to your books? 
Okay, so um, easiest, of course, is always Amazon. Uh, if you want a signed copy, uh, people are welcome to email me. It's poet at katherinegothart.com. Um, or uh, you can get the books on like Barnes and Noble online, or you can order them from a bookstore. There's some independent bookstores and galleries that have them too, uh, but that list is sort of always evolving, so I'm not going <laughs> to throw those names out there yet. Right, gotcha. Okay, that is wonderful. Um, we will definitely check some of those books out, especially A Crane Named Steve. I just, I really like that children's book. <laughs> <laughs> I want to thank you so much for uh, joining us on our podcast and taking time out of your day for us to interview you. Well, thank you. This has been great. It's it's always fun to talk about writing. You know, you don't get a chance to do it enough because, you know, it's writing and people think it's work and it is work, but it's also fun. So It is amazingly fun and I have really enjoyed speaking with you. Thank you so much. All right. So that's it for this episode. And uh, what did you think about uh, our author this week? She was a very pleasant lady to speak with. I really enjoyed talking with her. I loved how her son was her inspiration, and I like the story behind uh, her kid's book, um, A Crane Named Steve. That was a neat story, wasn't it? Pretty, pretty neat. And uh, Eli, of course, liked the fact that she was in Mexico. Oh, yes. She enjoys... Absolutely. uh, ...all the other countries and stuff like that, so it's always fun to talk to people that's been in different places. Next week's author is Elizabeth Lizu, and she will talk with us about her book called Caden's Adventure with Faith. Now, where's she from? She currently lives in Kuwait, mm-hmm. and it talks about, it is, it's a book geared for younger kids to um, understand that some things are beyond our control, Okay. but that God is always in control. And whatever happens, it's for our good. Nice. So that would be really neat to talk with her. And uh, the New War series is heating up. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, going pretty. You know, and most people don't realize what it takes to do a podcast because most podcasts are just quick. Done. Right. But ours has so much more to offer. We have you know interviews. We have mm-hmm. little plays. We have, you know, just a little bit of everything. So it takes a little bit more to do. It takes a lot of time. It does. It, and I do have to say that my husband does most of the, let me change that, if all not, yeah, if not of all. the technical <laughs> Um, what do you want to call it? Technical stuff. I'm sure there's a more appropriate name for it, but I'm not very technical. So uh, him putting all of this together is... Well, I'm not a very technical person either. I have to just learn this stuff as I go. I mean, it's, you know, I mean, I'm too old to try to learn all this stuff now. You're never too old. But I'm learning it. I'm, I'm figuring some of it out. You're doing a great job. Well, thank you. I well, think so. I want to raise. So I get the fun part of like just interviewing people uh, and acting silly you get to and talk to people and all this stuff. Yeah. So, but he he does work hard, and I'm very yes. thankful for him. But you're working on uh, you've written a play for Christmas. Yes, it's a it's a play about um, three kids, and two of the kids think they know what Christmas is about, but they really don't. 
So we have the other one that shares the uh, true story of Christmas, the real um, meaning of it. So this will be fun. This will be fun. Um, so we got uh, a lot coming up, and we've only got a few more episodes before we end the season. Wow. Yeah. This is, what, episode eight? Yes, it like is. We just started. I know. And all these people we've spoken to. I've had so much fun. This has been so much fun. Yeah, so what we do, we... This is kind of our writing hiatus. We uh, normally uh, write most of the time in you know February through September. Around September, I just get out of the mood to write. So this is our new avenue for our hiatus and being creative. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. And guess what? What? Um, we have new promo codes. Yes, we do. Guess what they're for? Uh, uh, let's see. James Patterson? No. Uh, Little House on the Prairie? No. Okay, I give up. My book. Oh, yes. Saving Faith. Yes. Aren't you excited? I'm very excited. So, right after this, listen. And if you're the first person to copy this down, go to ACX. Or, no, I'm sorry. No. Audible. Audible. Mm-hmm. Audible.com. Promo code. Enter this code and you will get a free audiobook, completely free. And it is a full-length book. It is. And tell me if you figured out who the killer was. I'm always interested in that, hearing back from people if they knew right away oh, who the killer was. I thought you was asking me. I was going to tell you. No, don't, oh, don't, don't say nothing. Okay. We're still on the air. Okay, on the air, huh? Now you're me. <laughs> well, this is our radio now. I know. Okay. All right, so... Remember, right after this, listen for the code. Anybody got anything else to say? Just, uh, we hope that you enjoyed this episode, and just keep listening. Keep the pages turning. <laughs>